Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Acts. Uh, This morning we continue in our study of this book. There's a couple Bibles available on the back table. If you don't have a copy, we'd love for you to grab one of those. Please do follow along. The passage for this morning is found in your bulletin insert. You can follow along there as well. Many of you will remember, as we have been studying through this book, that at the very beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus himself told his disciples that they would be his witnesses, that they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And last week, as we split this chapter, chapter 8 in half, last week we looked at the rising persecution in the city of Christians, and how the result of that was what continues to take place today in the latter half of chapter 8. Namely, what we were reminded of last week was that suffering always serves God's purposes. And that here in Acts chapter 8, we see it in the corporate life of God's church serving the purpose of mission. As frankly, the gospel is forced to go to a place that many in Jerusalem would have struggled to want to go to. Samaria was that region of half-breeds. It was those people that the Jews of Jerusalem generally disdained, and there was great animosity between the two peoples. But things were different now, right? Things were different for a number of reasons. One is the persecution that was going on in the city forced them to this region. Two, they remembered, maybe they had forgotten, but they remember now that Jesus had said, you will be my witnesses. And thirdly, there's some gospel transformation going on here. There's no doubt that people's categories are being blown up. That people's paradigms of what God is doing in the world are being changed and radically restructured. And so Luke, in the beginning of chapter 8, after focusing us on kind of what is happening, big picture in the church, today as we move to the latter half of chapter 8, kind of zooms us in a bit and gives us a glimpse of the power of the preaching of God's Word that's going forward and some of the challenges that the early church faced in its mission. And so I'm going to read the text, and then we'll talk about it for uh, a few minutes this morning. Acts chapter 8, and I'm going to go ahead and start in verse 4. We looked at verse 4 through 8 last week, but just to give a little context, I'm going to start there, and then we'll read through verse 25. Now those who were scattered about went preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria saying that he himself was somebody great. 
And they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. There are some things in life that money can't buy. And for everything else, there's MasterCard. You ever heard that motto, that tagline? For years, this was the tagline of an advertising campaign that highlighted the fact that there were just some things in our lives that were priceless, that were out of reach of any sized wallet. Things like family, things like love. It's a slogan that I couldn't help but have in my mind as I thought about this passage, as I read this passage, as I read the actions of the main character in our story. Through a grievous attempt at purchasing what can't be bought, Simon here reveals that he has completely misunderstood what's happening in his city. But there's more. There's more to learn from this passage, even before we get to those actions on Simon's behalf. Because what is happening here in Acts chapter 8 is that the power of God through the gospel is moving with might through a city. And it's overwhelming its adversaries, it's revealing God's grand story of redemption, and it's showing that it is no match for any man. I'm not going to lie to you, this, is a, this was a tough passage. Tough passage to think about how to preach to you 
this morning. There's a lot going on. And some, frankly, we just don't understand what's going on. But as I studied, as I wrestled, I want this morning to frame the message of Acts chapter 8 in three truths, three things that I think will encourage you, will remind you of the gift that you have been given as the church, the gift of the good news, and the gift of the Spirit that accompanies that news. And it's my prayer that these points, that these truths that God reminds us of this morning as His church will embolden us for mission, will embolden us for the work that He's called us to as a church. Many of you know the familiar verse in Romans 1, verse 16, Paul wrote to the church at Rome and he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. And that's, I think, what this passage boils down to. This passage is a passage about the power of the gospel unto salvation. And so the first truth I want you to think about this morning is this. The power of the gospel trumps all other powers. The power of the gospel trumps all other powers. So I want you to notice, first of all, as we come to this story and this account, how the light of the gospel pierces into a dark place, a dark city like Samaria. And Luke, in order to show us what was going on in the world and how the gospel was going forth and, and penetrating into the dark places, he tells us this story, he introduces us to this man named Simon. We, we've not heard of him before. But he's a resident of Samaria. He's an ex-magician of sorts with quite a large following. In fact, to some extent, Luke tells us about this man as if to say that this is, this is kind of his city. I mean, he is the man in this city. Simon has quite a following. He is confident. He has called himself great because of the wonders he could perform. And not just that, that the people give him this title, Great One. You see, it's capitalized in your Bibles, almost as if to say it's a divine title that has been attributed to this man. We don't know exactly what Simon was doing that was amazing the people of Samaria, but he was doing something amazing. And it's doubtful that it was just kind of some sleight of hand card tricks on the street. No, Simon was into some dark, powerful stuff. The kind of things that the law of Moses expressly forbid. Think about the time of Moses. Think about the magicians that Pharaoh had in his court and their ability to wield dark powers. It wasn't just sleight of hand trickery. It was darkness. That seems to be Simon's resume. That seems to be what 
the kind of thing that could result in such prestige in a city, in such a following, in, in such a divine title. But what does Luke want us to see as the Gospel goes into this city through the preaching of Philip, through the signs and wonders of Philip? See, I think Luke wants us to see the power of the Gospel. The power of the Gospel that trumps all other parallels. All other powers. Just look with me for a moment at at how Simon is compared. In verse 10, they, they used to pay attention, it says. That phrase, pay attention to Simon. But if you jump back to verse 8, now the people of Samaria are paying attention to what Philip is saying. Same Greek word. They had long been amazed, says verse 11, by the magic of Simon. But now verse 13, Luke says Simon himself is amazed by the power of Philip. Same Greek word. Simon had boasted that he himself was great, verse 9 says. But now we read in verse 13 that he stood astonished at the great miracles being performed by Philip. Same Greek word. You see, it's almost as if Luke in this account wants us to compare the two. Look at what is happening in this city. They're paying attention over here. They're amazed over here. They're saying, wow, that is great. And now what is happening? The Gospel is coming in power. And this so-called power is being overshadowed. And Jesus Christ is being exalted. The power of the Gospel trumps all other powers. No one is out of its reach, and no stronghold is too strong. And notice, too, that it's not just the signs and wonders. I know we talked about this a little bit last week. Like It's not fair that Philip has all these signs and wonders that accompany his words. But Luke doesn't emphasize that it's the signs and wonders that are bringing the amazement. It's the preaching of the Word. It's the proclamation of the name of Christ. It's a reminder to us that God extends His rule through the power of His Word. And that's why the Word of God is at the center of all that we do because the power of the Gospel trumps all other powers. So as I think about applying this to our life, I think one of the applications for us is why do we cower in fear at the so-called greatness of our day, whether it be intellectual greatness or otherwise? Brothers and sisters, don't underestimate the power of God at work in the lives of those around you simply by the proclamation of the name of Christ simply by the testimony of your love and concern for others. The Gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's likely you will never face dark 
masters of magic. But even if you do, there is nothing to fear. Live, love, and speak Christ with boldness, without fear. That's the first thing I think Luke wants us to see as he tells us the account of Simon. But there's a second truth that I want you to see in this passage. And it's this. The power of the Gospel breaks down all barriers. The power of the Gospel breaks down all barriers. If your house is like mine, maybe the Olympics have been on quite a bit for the past couple days. We love the Olympics at the Hitchcock House, and the other night we watched uh, a bit of the opening ceremonies, the the parade of nations. It's always such a spectacle, and one of the things that I always love to see in the parade of nations is this picture of unity, unity around sport in the midst of so much diversity. So much diversity in terms of language, in terms of geography, in terms of ethnicity, in terms of religious belief. Well, it's not how it should be, but it's a taste. It's it's a picture as I watch those parade of nations, and and I couldn't help but think of John's vision in Revelation 5 as the 24 elders sing this song, and they sing to the Lamb saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and your blood has ransomed a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever. Ah, this is how it should be. This is the unity among diversity that we long for. Unity among the, around the Lamb of God. And I think Luke, in talking here about Samaria and what's going on, wants us to see again God's plan of redemption. God's intent. He will gather worshipers for Himself. One body from many different peoples. The rest of the Scriptures is not silent on this either. Paul tells us that this is the mystery of the Gospel. Once hidden, but now revealed, Ephesians 3.6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the Gospel. Now, at this point in the history of the church, we're we're not there yet. We're not to the Gentile advance. We'll get there as we continue to march through Acts. But we are outside of the confines of Jewish Jerusalem. And we're beginning to see God's intent for the nations. And Luke doesn't want us to miss the significance of it. As I said before, it's a big deal that the Gospel is going into Samaria. 
It's so big, in fact, that now that it is taking root, the disciples send two of their own to Samaria, Peter and John. You know how there are certain individuals, there are certain individuals that can give credibility to something that is previously unknown, unendorsed. In a sense, that's what the disciples are doing here. That's what Peter and John are coming for. And it's not just themselves that they are bringing, but it's this interesting thing that we find here in Acts 8 where they are bringing the Holy Spirit as well. Now this is one of the kind of the oddities in this passage, one of the things that folks have struggled with. How can it be that people are believing Philip's message, they're being baptized as followers of Jesus, and yet they aren't receiving the Holy Spirit? There's this delay. And indeed, some in the church would like to make much of this. Say it's some kind of a second blessing and that this is normative for the church. It's certain that this isn't normal for the church. But I think this is far from normative. You see, what I think Luke wants us to see here is that the Gospel going into Samaria is an epic marking event. This is, a, this is a Samaritan Pentecost of sorts. This delay of the Holy Spirit and then the, the apostles coming and giving the Holy Spirit. It's as if to say, world, take note. These people, once considered half-breeds, once ostracized by the Jews of Jerusalem, are not another branch. This is not the Samaritan church. And here we have the Jerusalem church. No, this is the church of Jesus under the authority of the apostles with the filling of the Holy Spirit. And it's almost as if the Lord delayed the sending of His Spirit upon the people of Samaria as if to put an exclamation point on what God is doing here. The power of the Gospel is breaking down barriers. It will continue to make barriers fall. So take note. We know that obviously the Spirit of God in some sense had come to the people of Samaria. Otherwise, there wouldn't have been any belief in the first place. But now, according to our passage, the Holy Spirit comes in some visible, some outward manifestation that is clear to those around the city. And that's certainly clear to Simon. You see, I think Luke's point here is instruction for this young church that received this history many, many generations ago. And for us here today, that this is the story God is writing. The power of the Gospel is breaking down barriers and will continue to do so. There's one Lord. There's one people. There's one 
church. Of course, this was the prayer of Jesus himself, that his people would be one. This was the cry of the prophet Isaiah, where he longed for the day when all the earth would sing praise to Yahweh. And Paul will pick this up in his Gentile mission later in the book of Ephesians and say there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. As we think about applying this to our mission, to our corporate life together, I think it's a reminder for us of God's heart for the nations. God's heart for the outcasts. God's heart for the marginalized. A heart that needs to be reflected in our church. And as this word was carried by Philip into this region, it's a reminder for us that the word of God, the power of God through the gospel is a missionary word. It's one that must be carried. It's one that must be shared. Now I admit that we, we can't make ourselves, we can't force diversity among us. But we need to strive. We need to make sure that we are not being territorial. That we are recognizing, that we are rejoicing in the Gospel's advance to tear down barriers that so easily divide us. That's the second truth I think Luke wants us to see. And then there's a last thing briefly that I want to talk about from Acts chapter 8, and it's simply this. The power of the Gospel overcomes our distortions. The power of the Gospel overcomes our distortions. As we work into the last part of this passage, Luke reminds us through this story, I think, that from the very outset, the church had obstacles that it was forced to overcome. With such a, a drastic and a dramatic gospel advance into darkness comes the possibility, and we might say the inevitability, of confusion, of misunderstanding, even a perversion of the gospel message. And the things that the apostles faithfully taught. And Luke gives us a, an example of a particular challenge that the church had to face. It's all centered around this man Simon, a man of, of darkness, a man of dark power, who was overcome by the gospel, it seems like, but then the question becomes, was this man even a believer? It should be noted that Simon is not acting out of character in a sense. I mean, he had long been an unbeliever, a pagan in this city. And he's not acting out of character when he asks if he can buy this power. That was often something magicians would do, is pay each other for trade secrets. Simon no doubt saw the commercial possibilities. But what does that reveal about his heart? He was a man that, that Luke tells us was baptized and, and believed and was following, and yet he's acting like 
this. Peter's words to him are harsh. He says, you have neither part nor lot. That phrase that Peter uses is an Old Testament phrase that's applied to those who are outside of the people of God. And his language at one point is so strong in the Greek that we might say, he's saying, may your silver and you go to hell. Is basically what Peter is saying to Simon. So it sure seems that Peter doesn't even think that Simon is a man of true faith. Is a man of belief. I can't tell you definitively where Simon's heart was, but I'm not sure that it matters all that much in terms of getting Luke's point. Luke's point is that he got it wrong. He misunderstood. And if anything, Simon reminds us that you can go through the motions. You can say the right things, and yet your heart can be far from God. And it's a reminder to us, even in the church's infancy, that the church will always exist in a broken world. There will always be unintentional distortions to the Gospel. There will always be intentional perversions of the Gospel. And of course, in the medieval church, there was this very thing. Where it was offered to the people of God that you could buy spiritual favors, that you could essentially buy the gift of God. We don't have that in the church, but we have hints of it. We have those who will tell you on TV that God is pleased, that God will reward if you do this. If you send your check here. And maybe this even pokes and prods a bit in our hearts and and maybe makes us think, is there a heart issue with us? Could there be a heart issue where we are just religiously going through the motions thinking that our being here, thinking that our faithful giving, thinking that whatever good works we are involved in is our merit to God? that's the case, the Scriptures speak to that and say, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So I think with all the controversy around Simon the magician, but where his heart was, I think he simply reminds us that we need to be careful. We need to think rightly about the Gospel. We need to think rightly about the Spirit. We need to protect the integrity of what has been revealed to us as the church. And maybe in a sense, this story of Simon and the way he misunderstands and distorts the message of the Gospel, is a reminder and a call for us not to have any kind of haphazard theology. Maybe you don't have to say that to a bunch of 
Presbyterians, but maybe we do. The power of the gospel, despite the distortion, despite the confusion, overcomes. It marches on, and it's too powerful. And that's really where I want our hearts to be as we go from this place this morning. Being reminded that the power of the gospel trumps all powers, breaks through all barriers, and will overcome all distortions. That's the message you carry. It's the spirit you possess. May God give us grace to be faithful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. We thank You for this story that we admit is difficult to understand and yet does reveal for us once again how even in its infancy, even as this church of Jesus was was just beginning in its formal sense, that the power of the Gospel and that Your plan of redemption and that Your purposes in the world were being made clear and were showing themselves evident to a world of darkness. A world that wasn't unlike ours. And so we pray that we as a church this morning would take heart and take heed to the truth that's found here. That we might go from this place emboldened with the message that we carry. Careful to handle it rightly and rejoicing in its power to break down division. Father, oh, how we long for that day when the parade of nations the parade of those washed in the Lamb will stand before Him and rejoice in Him with no tear in their eye, with no grieving in their heart. O come, Lord Jesus, come. And until that day, use us, we pray, for Your glory. Amen.